Do you like comics? We're here to talk comics. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. When they, oh, when, gosh. when they switched, like, hold systems, I, because it was, like, in alphabetical order, I got, like, one of the really low numbers. I think I have, like, hold number four oh. out of out of who knows how many they have now. And the great thing is, I mean, that, I think that they only had the original hold system for maybe a couple of years. So it's still, like, I mean, even then, I think I still would have had a pretty low number. But it cracks me up when I meet new employees there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm here to pick up. They don't recognize me because I go in like once every three months. So I'm just yeah. like, hey, I'm here to pick up my hold. And they're like, oh, do you know your number? I'm like, yes, four. four? And they're like, uh-huh, and? Uh, an ancient one. Ah, <laughs> one of the old ones. Yeah. Do not speak of me of the old. Do not speak of me of the old text switch. <laughs> I was there when it was drawn and penciled and <laughs> Yeah. So like my favorite is they'll be like they'll be waiting for me to say another number. Like I'm trying to say forty two or something, I'm just like, no, just four. <laughs> That's you it. You forgot the rest of the yeah. two digit number. They're like, oh, uh, it's that Simpsons joke where Mr. Burns is filling out his social security number. <laughs> not, 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 one. Dang, <laughs> yeah. It's a good joke. Yeah, which is, yeah. which is part of the reason why I don't ever want to give up my hold, but I am struggling to have physical comics. <laughs> <laughs> do what you got to do, man. That's, that's your number four. That's important. I'm, that's I'm not like... going to let that go. They, they were bidding for their number one hold spot for like a while they they donated that money to charity and i i was really tempted to bid on it i was like oh having the number one though (laughs) (laughs) that's funny i wouldn't have uh considered that something that's valuable but then again i also missed the boat on the whole nft thing so what do i know about what has inherent value and what doesn't yeah you know it's non-fungible it cannot be funged although you can't you can't funge it up you know what else you can't funge up the Superhuman Registration Podcast. Hey. Hey, this segue to our sponsor. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Linus Tech Tips. <laughs> this week's episode is sponsored by the Board 8 Yacht Club. <laughs> they gave us no money, which conveniently is how much money they have. We're here to not talk about uh, tech bros. We're here to talk about comics. Although if we wanted to talk about tech bros, I've got some feelings about Elon Musk currently. I thought you were going to say Tony Stark. Oh well, I we, they, that would be they do on go topic. to the same parties in Monaco as per Iron Man two. I I know I know Tony Stark would have come out with NFTs. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. Wasn't that the plot of Superior Iron Man? I mean, kind of, but was human <laughs> perfection fungible? It's like the great uh, writer of the Book of Ecclesiastes said. Under the sun, all is fungible. <laughs> I hope you're picking that up because I cannot tell. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to read your Bible, Aldo. I okay, we to... are not here to talk about the Bible. Uh, the, the good book will have to wait for our I'm pretty sure the next verse is, and then God invented the backhanded slap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't Is there a Marvel Illustrated for, for the Bible? Because we might oh, have to read that. Oh, 
the, oh, yes and no, Aldo. No, it's not Marvel. But I got someone, someone I won't mention in my family got me for Christmas one year the, the Action Bible. And I was going to say this. It was an illustrated Bible. And I was like, they know I like comics and <laughs> church. And so this is the middle of the Venn diagram. I was like, I thought you knew me better. <laughs> and I was like, I flipped through it and it was, it was offensive <laughs> as a comics fan, as a Christian. <laughs> it, got me, it got me on both accounts. I was like, this is terrible. Um, Jesus was ripped. And so that was weird. Was that your <laughs> civil war? That was my, yeah. <laughs> as much as Stephen hates Civil War, I hated the Action Bible. And, like, you can't say anything because it's like, oh, hey, this is clearly, like, you put some thought into this. Like, why wouldn't John like this? And I felt bad because it lived on my shelf for a while and then it's it went off to charity. So some poor, someone else has now been white elephanted this this monstrosity. It was so, like, Cain kills Abel and the whole, like, Cain's standing there with his inner monologue. He's like, her, uh, plants are dumb, or whatever, or animals are dumb. Like, whatever Abel liked, Cain was just like, meh, whatever it is is dumb. And then he murders him, and it's just like, it, it, it tried, oh, it was so, it was offensive, um, at, like, as a Christian and a comic book fan, I, I hated it. So, yeah, yes, Aldo, you, I mean, you can, you can read the Bible as a comic, but I do not recommend it. Noted. Oh. But do we recommend today's comics that we actually read? I think that's the real question. Spoiler alert. I'm, mine, yes. And actually the other... Yeah, <laughs> bo yeah both of them. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, yes. Yeah. Why don't we, why don't we go ahead and start, uh, John, with the, the story that you're going to summarize. The Dr. Afra. What was it called? In, Dr. Afra and the Pursuit of Profit? Yes. So we read Dr. Afra, Star Wars Dr. Afra from 2016, issues 9 through... Uh, 14, and Dr. Aphra has procured the soul of a Jedi trapped in a crystal. A crystal, what has a Jedi in it? And the Jedi, if it is not controlled, can control technology, like take over and possess droids, that kind of thing. And she has gathered all of um, the underworld's scummiest scummy villains and is going to auction this off um, and a bunch of, you know, adjacent the star Wars, like bad guy adjacent characters like there's a hut there's some bounty hunters you know there's other groups represented they've all come to bid on it and in the midst of all of this her um droids get bored because they can't kill anyone her murder c-3po uh triple zero um contacts uh vader and gets vader to come and so everything goes crazy well the um Jedi that's contained in this uh, this crystal gets a hold of uh, its own body and starts attacking uh, with lightsabers. And so it's uh, after, uh, Dr. Afra and all of her potential clients fleeing for their lives and uh, trying to get out alive and not uh, get on anybody's bad side. And uh, she's able to escape the Empire for the moment. In the end, Vader is able to defeat this Jedi... Um, Afra escapes with a ship belonging to the Shadow University and returns some of its artifacts. They're very grateful. She makes a whole bunch of money and goes on a, a resort vacation. Black Christanthan, Christanthan, her Wookiee companion, 
um, <laughs> gets revenge on the uh, people who, you know, ruined his life, trained him to be a gladiator by beating him. Um, in the end, Vader returns the crystal that has a Jedi in it to Palpatine, who has a big collection of these kind of doodads. Um, Aphra sells the ship she escaped on, the artifacts, to back to the Shadow University, saying she recovered them and uh, has done them a great service. Goes off to a resort. Some bad guys catch up to her, and we end with her going, why does this always happen to me? And uh, that's the end of it. I thought it was a great, fun comic. Um, art, art, as always, was good. Um, this particular creative team um, was the same the whole time, with the same... Um, cover artist so Karen Gillen who we've read before was the writer Kev Walker was the penciler Mark Deering did the inks Antonio Fabella the colors and Kamome Shirahama did was the cover artist and VC's Joe Caramagna was the letterer um great creative team I really liked this it was fun um you know not much to it she uh tried her best to pull one over on this uh, ancient Jedi and everything went crazy what did you guys think Kamome Shirahama is also the creator and illustrator for Witch Hat Atelier, which has wonderful art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got nine volumes of it on my shelf. It's pretty... The story's fine. The art is so good. Yeah, great covers with this, which is fun. I Oh, they're fantastic. Yeah, I uh, it just it had been a while, and I get I get this Star Wars itch, and then uh, Doctor Aphra is a, just a really fun character because just when you think ah this is someone I can root for, then she'll make <laughs> some decision where it's like oh yeah you're a bad guy where she like she won't kill anybody but she definitely won't get in the way if they are about to get murdered so mm-hmm. that's fun. The thing I've been enjoying about the Avra books that we've read we haven't read a very extensive amount just yet but. It feels like every book that we read has just enough context that you don't feel that you need to have read everything leading up to it. And I enjoy that. They are fun, standalone stories, and I'm assuming if you read all of them together, it would be a nice continuation. (laughs) And it doesn't have the prequel problem cuz this is kind of, you know, wedged in the middle of every other every other Star Wars thing going on. It's not an issue where we know what's going to happen. We know, oh, that character is dead in the future, so why care about them, what they're doing now? Um, mm-hmm. Somehow Andor does this, too, because Andor, like, we know how it ends, but the show is fantastic. Uh, Dr. Aphra is great because it's it's right there in the midst of everything going on, but the characters aren't always ones that we've seen a million times, and so it is kind of still, you know, possible for everything to go wrong. It's not just, you don't know the end from the beginning. Um, right away so it's still fun yeah i struggle a little bit with dr afra only in the sense that when i'm reading it i don't feel like i'm reading a star wars story i know vader shows up and i know that there are evil clones of c-3po and r2d2 running around so maybe this is just on me but this isn't the sort of story that i expect when i come to a star wars comic and i'm sitting here trying to decide if the fact that it doesn't feel like Star Wars is a good thing or a bad thing. Similarly, Andor doesn't really feel like Star Wars. And yet Andor is the best Star Wars that we've had in a long time. There's a part of me that wants to say it's better than Episode Eight, which is my favorite of all of the new Star Wars things. But it, again, doesn't really feel like Star Wars. But it's also so tied into, like fleshing out the universe that Andor still feels, even though it's not 
Star Wars in tone, it is still Star Wars in a meaningful way that contributes to the understanding of the overall universe. It fleshes out the background of the Rebellion, shows some of the moral compromises that they had to make and stuff like that. I'm not sure Dr. Aphra does the same thing. And so there's a part of me that wonders if linking the character to Star Wars actually doesn't hold her back a little bit. But that is, and I want to stress this, not that important. This story is heckin' fun. Yeah. I think to your point, though, the fact that it's a Star Wars book also means that there's a lot of world building that they can just skip over and they can get straight to the good stuff or like the fun stuff. Right. Because like as they're as they're talking a lot about a lot of these groups, like we don't really they explain what like oh, what were those guys? The Tarazans? Yeah. Right. Like obviously we get an explanation for them, but that's because that's a joke because they're not even like an actual big player in this whole thing. <laughs> They're not, even, just, they're not even big on their own planet, as it turns right, out. Right, it's just, like, it's two like, continents. <laughs> yeah, it was a great little gag. Yeah, so, like, that's that's a fun little joke, right? But, like, they don't need to go into, like, in-depth with the Huts or the Rodians or, like, a bunch of the other ones that show up, right? So we can flesh out the stuff that's important to her, like the Shadow University. And as a joke, you know, the Terezan United, whatever. <laughs> So I think, I don't know, I think that is a benefit of being a Star Wars book. It's just the fact that there's a lot that doesn't really need to be explained all that much. Right? We don't really have to explain why it's such a big deal that there's not just a soul in this crystal. But that, like, the fact that it's a Jedi soul already does enough explaining on its own. Yeah. 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 I don't know. It's just interesting. I think I've mentioned this recently, but I've been revisiting some of the old Star Wars novels uh, from the pre-Disney days, the so-called extended universe. And the thing that is interesting about, at least the ones that I've read so far, is that they really do feel like Star Wars. These are stories about Luke and Han and Leia, and the characters' voices are Luke's and Han's and Leia's. And it's just really interesting to have that sort of continuation of the story with these characters whose voices we're relatively familiar with. So again, it, that feels like Star Wars and it gives you something to latch on to. I would argue that ultimately those stories don't really do enough to flesh out the, the Star Wars universe because it's really just telling the same story again. But at the same time, it, it It is linked to Star Wars. It's like, if I want Star Wars, but more Star Wars, I can read Heir to the Empire. If I want Star Wars that adds to the universe, but maybe feels a little bit different, I can turn to Andor. I'm not sure what itch Afra is scratching. Um, we don't see this fringe element where... She doesn't care if the Empire does well. She doesn't care if the Rebels win. She is, you know, kind of out for her own thing. You know, she is interested in, in her own pursuits without contributing to a bigger goal. You know, she's trying to stay one step ahead of the law or the Empire. And I don't know. I think it's... Gotta sweet. keep one jump ahead of the Empire. There you go. <laughs> 
it's, you know, we don't get to see the point of view of things going on from the bad guys. It's a fratten. A what? I heard... A fratten. <laughs> I heard what you say and I hate it. Yeah, I... Mm. I said what I said and I hate it. <laughs> you put it's like bacon on a donut. I like Aladdin, I like Afra, and you 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 mashed them together in an unholy combination that we shouldn't have. <laughs> but I don't entirely hate it. <laughs> I know. I think I think I hate it and yet I'm going to get another. <laughs> <laughs> I think that what it's tricky to say what Star Wars is. Like and what feels like Star Wars. It's tricky. It's tricky, 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 tricky. Every episode. Every, every episode we do this. Seriously. <laughs> I'm sorry, just like, I'm sorry. Aldo's just like, what random like music, like what random, random lyric can we throw into John's head to just completely derail it? Um, mm-hmm. It is difficult to say what is Star Wars, what feels like Star Wars, because... Everybody is a little bit different, and I think sometimes something that adds something new, maybe at first doesn't feel like Star Wars, but then becomes it, or else it's it's okay that they like kind of zigged where you thought they would zag, maybe. Um, I don't know. Dr. Afro works for me. Uh, we, we get a bad guy's per- perspective, you know? It doesn't have to be all like Luke the Golden Boy and his, his laser sword. It can be uh, Dr. Afra and her murder droids. Oh, Especially, yeah, like, big improvement on C-3PO having a, a murder version of him, I think. I, I'm pretty sure I've gone on record as saying C-3PO is my least favorite character in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if it's a controversial opinion. No, no, that's just a fact, I think. But yeah, um, I, I, again, the, the larger philosophical question about whether Aphra benefits from being part of Star Wars or is held back by being part of Star Wars is kind of beside the point because this is a story where Aphra uses a giant hut as a human shield to sneak across a battle. It's like, one thing that you don't get from Star Wars proper is, you know, a story that is centered around someone who is just solely in it for themselves in very entertaining ways. And... Afra delivers on that front. She's like Han with even less of a moral code. Yeah. Uh, and she's actually got a face, which immediately makes her a better character than Boba Fett. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's a good story with fun gags. There's a good like little adventuresome spirit in it. There's really stellar art. I think it was the second to last issue that we read where Vader shows up and confronts the killer Jedi robot. And they cross sabers, and it's just this gorgeous image of, like, the bright red of Vader's saber and the green mist that's kind of coming out of this murder robot. And then Aphra's crouched in the corner under this rubble. It's really good composition, really good coloring, and, yeah, uh, it's it's quite a good-looking book. I'm glad you mentioned that panel, because that I was totally going to bring that up, too. It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, another thing that I like that this, you know, Vader is always going to look like Vader. That's fine. But I think that artists working in Star Wars are held back when they're like, well, Leia's in this, so we better make it look like Carrie Fisher. And we're going to be spending more time on getting that likeness than, you know, maybe necessarily making a good pose, that kind of thing. And so I like that this is a new character. Um, you know, anyone who's familiar is kind of a robot or, you know, you can get a little loose with huts. You know, or with Rodians, like we know what those 
characters, those, the species look like. So this hut has like, I don't know, rhinestones. <laughs> like, and, it, and it's, you know, slightly <laughs> different. So it's not Java, but we still get a Java, you know. Script is also really good. There are some great lines in this in this story. One of my favorites is towards the beginning where Afra is getting ready to install this Jedi soul into this robot. And Triple Zero says, you know, I'm not sure this is a good idea. And Afra responds by saying, this is science. Science is always a good idea. And that line reminds me of some of the, the like monster fighting Nazi punching science comics of like Brian Clevenger and atomic robo and things like that. It's just, it's such a quirky line that belongs to a particular type of character that I love it. It, it immediately hooked me into the story and I kind of stuck with it all through everything else that happened. Uh, I loved that the, the eventual reveal that the biggest troublemakers in this story are actually Afra's companions triple zero and d d d whatever the the r2 robot's name dt33 i don't remember i thought it was bt anyway something but yeah oh yeah anyway just it's great it's it's got some great twists and turns in it nothing it doesn't say anything more than just boy that afra what a rascal (laughs) but it's pretty fun for what it is She's a little scamp. <laughs> I liked, you can almost hear, you know, a C-3PO voice with a little bit of edge when she says, no orders, ex- nothing except for, like, orders from your master. And he's, like, singing when she leaves the room, loophole, loophole, loophole. And <laughs> contacts Vader because, you know, you, before Afra they belong to Vader. And so he's like, okay, good. I get to, you know, murder if I can get permission. And uh, when... Black Chrysanthemum is uh, choking her. <laughs> Triple Zero says, ah, yes, I speak throttled human, and, like, translates the... Because <laughs> he's mad at her for doing deals with guys that have harmed him in the past. So I like that, too, that, you know, this team that she has around her, they're not always going to be loyal, you know? And, you know, her Wookiee almost kills her, and the droids go out. Like, they try to, you know, make things blow up in her face. Um, and, and leave her, you know, in the end and, uh, go kind of run the crime, the, the crime group that the, uh, Rodian dude was a part of. Um, yeah, I, uh, I like that where you're not like, oh yeah, this is just going to be, you know, this, this plucky group of, of scamps, like you say, <laughs> you know, going to be, going to be out causing mischief, but they're the good guys. It's like, no, they'll all turn on each other at the drop of a hat if they really have to. So that makes it interesting, you know, not knowing what's going to come next. Any, yes. Anything else we want to say? <laughs> anything else we have to say about Dr. Afro? I think it's a, a worthy uh, entry into the list. Yeah, I mean, we I, end up putting it. Yeah, I just, I mean, I really enjoyed it. It's a solid book. It's fun. I mean, above all things, right? It's a fun book. Yeah. And, man, I really like the art. And I know we briefly talked about uh, the cover art at the beginning when, when we mentioned the artist. But, uh, man, those covers are really good. I like the... Oh, what issue was it? Let me let me uh, do that again. I really like the art specifically on issue 12, which is the beginning of, like, the Vader issue. Mm-hmm. And it's 
kind of just a close-up of Vader and we see Afra in the reflection on the on the helmet. That's a really nice. I like that cover. And yeah, also, no, all of these covers are real good. Yeah. And not that we really need like more I guess evidence that Vader is the the best or the strongest Sith in the galaxy, but seeing him like fight like a thousands year old Jedi crystal robot thing, which is kind of a wacky sentence in and of itself. That was really cool. I like when they're arguing with each other that they're like, he's like, I am Vader. I am a Sith and I have killed all the Jedi and like none shall escape me. And the one's like, you ain't real. I know real Sith. And they're just like, all right, well, one of us is lying and that's probably who's dead. And so they start fighting. <laughs> oh gosh, I just flipped the, the last issue, flipped to the page where Vader senses Afra and he's like, hmm. I felt a presence I have not felt for some time. Yeah. And they got, infuriating got presence. <laughs> yeah, the and then he just ignores her. It's so good. Because <laughs> the next panel, she goes, a presence I have not felt for some time. The next panel is her escaping and being shot at by the Star Destroyer. Ah! An infuriating presence. So that's, yeah. Comics Vader is just kind of the best Vader. <laughs> It kind of is, though. Yeah. We've talked yeah. about this a couple times, I think, but this just kind of further reinforces it. He has, like, more opportunities to kind of be sassy, to be more angsty. We really get He's to see, like, funny. a lot of his power. Yeah. He's funny. Vader is never funny. And it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he has better comic timing as a uh, comics villain. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's so good. Um... Okay, should we should we move on? Yeah. I'm ready sure. to talk about Mystic. So Mystic, the the series that we read is a it's actually I don't know if retelling is the right word. Mystic was a comic series that uh ran in the early two thousands from Cross Gen Comics, which was a Marvel Comics competitor that I believe they eventually acquired as uh marvel and disney kind of tend to do the original series was was created by ron mars and brandon peterson and i don't know much about it some of the broad strokes are the same it's got some similar characters giselle and genevieve they're both kind of magic users but that's not really relevant the story that we read for today was a 2011 miniseries Created by G. Willow Wilson and David Lopez with uh, inks by Alvaro Lopez and colors by Nathan Fairbairn and letters by Jared K. Fletcher. Fairbairn is a colorist that I need to research more because I feel like I have positive associations with his name. It's like I've seen comics he's lettered and they're all pretty good. Anyway, Mystic is completely unrelated from any of the other worlds that we visited as we've toured through the Marvel Comics brand Uh the story is set on the world of Hyperion, which is a place of technology and magic. Magic comes from this substance called ether, which is generated whenever there's an eclipse. On this world, there are these two sisters, Giselle and Genevieve. It's not entirely clear to me that they are actually biological sisters as much as they are like orphan mates. You know, they live in the same orphanage. They do the same laundry. I think they're just and best friends. Yeah, uh, I think the original story 
they were literally sisters. And they're referred to as sisters in the introduction to each of these issues. But it says grew up as sisters. So I, it, it's, it's not clear that they're actually related. And I, they don't look related, you know, because familial similarities are really easy to glean in an illustrated medium. Anyway, Giselle and Genevieve, they, they spend their mornings at this orphanage kind of sneaking into their master's library and reading up on magic. And they're, they've been teaching themselves how to do magic. Uh, then one day things go really poorly at their, their I guess, job. So they get kicked out of the orphanage and to kind of make themselves feel better, they sneak into the ceremony where the greatest wizard of the city is picking his apprentices. Uh, as they're going through the apprentice selection process, this, this wizard posits this question that stumps all of the apprentices. But Giselle, who's not super interested in magic realizes that the question is false. It's it's a trick question, and she shouts it out. And as a result, she winds up getting picked as this apprentice. Meanwhile, Genevieve, who wanted to be a, a wizard and kind of dreamed about being the apprentice, gets really distraught and runs away. And we kind of follow these two friends through their parallel courses, although we definitely spend more time with Giselle than we do with uh, Viv. Giselle kind of gets to know the other apprentices, ingratiates herself with her master, and then eventually kind of breaks that connection. Meanwhile, Viv joins up with basically the French Revolution Antifa terrorist squad that is going to completely overthrow the social order. The two wind up crossing paths again on the eve of this great catastrophe where the eclipses are no longer going to happen and Ether is no longer going to be generated. Viv and Giselle face off. Vivian kind of lets Giselle go her own way because she figures out how to fix the crisis, and she does, and magic is saved. But the two sisters kind of continue on their parallel paths, one as a revolutionary and the other as this now high society uh, wizard trainee. So that's the broad strokes of the story. What did you all think? I liked it, and I know that there's, like, a lot of similarities to other stories where, oh, this nobody comes out of nowhere and is just the person we need right now, like, a bit of, like, the chosen one trope, you know, but I, I it all worked for me. I really enjoyed that, you know, one sister had, had you know, big dreams and ended up a revolutionary, and one sister, you know, gets in her own way and was in this stuffy, you know, high society a uh, place where she, you know, was talented, but also, like, constantly on the wrong foot. I don't know. It all worked for me. Um, I thought the art was nice. I, I liked that they, all the characters were very distinctive, and, um, you know, the style of everything was, you know, easy to follow. Who was who, where we were, what setting, you know, upper class, lower class, that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, it worked for me. I, I'd like to read more, because I'd like to see this whole situation fleshed out a bit more, um beyond just kind of, you know, what you expect from this kind of a story. Yeah, I like the story. I wish we would have gotten more time with the with the book. I think this is one of those books that probably would have benefited from being a full six-issue series. Easy. Yeah. I think it would have been fun to see a little bit more of, like, Giselle's struggles in the Academy. That kind of... I mean, that doesn't get blown over super fast. I mean, that is 
kind of a big part of like that is a bulk of like her story in like the second and third issues right and but i think specifically i would have wanted to see more of viv of her friend in the revolutionary stuff um oh we get like nothing on her right yeah because she gets yeah she gets added to the club i say that as if it's like the mickey mouse club or something like that but she she joins oh, oh. She grab joins a Molotov cocktail oh, we gotta take the power back <laughs> we are the power um but she so she joins them because she can do or she has an understanding of the arcane arts right and, you know we see her kind of proving herself a little bit she can also like manipulate the ether ball or whatever it is and then like the next time we see her she's pretty much a leader in the group right like not that I don't right. believe it. I just would have liked to see that fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah. Also, a little bit of a bummer for me that it kind of feels like the world kind of stays in or kind of returns to the status quo after this thing, right? Like, it, like we don't get any sense of, like, the walls between the high society and the low society crumbling or any sort of progression made to bridge the things it it just kind of goes like well i guess you're officially a revolutionary and i have a boyfriend now so we're just gonna <laughs> go our separate ways <laughs> isn't that what adulthood is like going and getting into adulthood <laughs> you're you're so tight with your college roommates and then all of a sudden like you know, they go to a couple rallies and you're on opposite sides of a of a culture war. And, you know, it's just yeah. that old song and, da- song and dance. Yeah. You turn on the TV and you're like, oh, man, is that Frank at the Capitol? Wow. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Where did you get that headdress? <laughs> That's was, cultural appropriation. I thought, I thought There's nothing worse joking. than that going on right now. I thought he was joking. I thought he was joking. No, he's not joking. Look, there he is. <laughs> Uh, no um i will tell you this was a really interesting story to read fairly recently i reread the butterfly mosque which is a memoir that wilson wrote of her time living in cairo and meeting and getting married to the man who'd become her husband and she talks a lot about kind of bridging different cultures and making a relationship work with two people who have very different backgrounds but you also get a bit of a sense of her politics and boy it was really odd to read this story and see Wilson being so almost uh, apathetic towards the revolutionaries like you have very clear social injustices happening and the the revolutionaries are kind of treated as the villains and that was weird that was a weird thing to see and i think it kind of ties in with what aldo was saying earlier where really this story needed more time to flesh out the uh the the revolutionary side plot Oh, boy. Yeah. Twenty eleven, yes. 
Oh, good question. <laughs> no, she... Pretty sure that she had moved back to the United States before the Arab Spring. But definitely, like, if the Arab Spring were happening, that would be a thing that she would be concerned about. The story itself is fine. It's, it's, it's acceptable, I guess. The art is where the story, I think, really kills. It's so good. It's, it's definitely... Of a style, the colors are very flat, which I think serves the story well. The The pencils themselves, seem, or the inks, are very clean. So there's a very strong, like almost, I hate to use the term because it's basically meaningless in comics criticism. There's this almost cartoony vibe to it. But it suits the subject matter really well. It suits the storytelling. The character designs are very solid. They're very appealing they're a little reminiscent of other characters, especially the the school bully who whose whole design, especially the top hat and the dark hair, like very reminiscent of Zatanna from DC Comics to the point where I like I saw an image of this because uh, some of the pages got retweeted or whatever the retweeting equivalent on Mastodon is uh, into my uh, feed and I looked at it and I thought it was a DC comic with Zatanna. It's it, and when I realized it was something that was on the Marvel Comics app, I'm like, okay, we have to read this. So I love the art. This is this is. It reminds me a lot of folks like I think it's Tony Cliff who does the. Um, have y'all ever read Delilah Dirk? No. Oh man, those book those books are good. Just uh, like a fancy lady pirate and her friend slash love interest going on crazy adventures in like the early 18th 19th or early 19th century uh just good old-fashioned swashbuckling comics very again very similar very fun character designs very clean art very very not marvel like, this is not something that I would expect to see in the Marvel Comics library. And I think that might be part of the reason it's so refreshing. Mm -hmm. I think for me, my only complaint about the art is that it has... Is that it's not Amanda Connor art, which is what the covers are. And I love Amanda Connor. I was just about to say that, yeah. The Amanda it, Connor covers are really good. But to be entirely fair, I think the inside art actually matches her art style pretty closely that it wasn't like that big of a of a thing like my biggest complaint with like a lot of comics when it comes to art is when the cover art is so drastically different from the inside art and it feels like i've been lied to and Yeah, exactly. Or some, or sometimes you know you just see Scotty Art, you you know Scotty Young, or you're just like, all right, Scotty Young, and it's like I don't know, maybe Adam Hughes inside, which you know it's not bad. Adam Hughes by no means a bad artist, love his stuff, but it's like I don't know, I feel like I was baited here. 
<laughs> so so that was this. so that was a little bit of like my thing was because I saw the image Connor art, love it. Uh, there's a book about her art in DC Comics. It's called like the Sequential Art of Amanda Connor. It's, I think it's like a collection. Oh yeah, I've seen that on shelves. Yeah, I want to pick it up. Um, so so I was immediately like, oh my gosh, I didn't know she did Marvel stuff, and a little disappointed when I saw like the credits on the left border of the of the cover art, and I was like, oh. Okay, but you know, opened it up and hey, good, happy surprise, very good art inside. Yeah, I will say though that these covers do not give you a good impression of what's actually going to happen in the story. Like the the fourth issue has this like phantom figure with like an inverted pentagram on top of his head and holding what looks like a sacrificial knife, and nope, that that is not. That is not what happens. Yeah, the two never come to blows like that. Yeah. They never... I mean, she does. And this is why I think that Viv's story really needed to get fleshed out more. Genevieve goes from being sad that her friend got a better job than her to wanting her friend dead very quickly. Well, she didn't want her dead. She, she was trying not to do that and then she got convinced by the other people that it had to happen for the cause yeah it did i did not buy that it that felt very very flat for me but yeah i just yeah i just needed like two pages of it escalating from her like maybe spitting on a royal and then on the next one, she, like, stabs a tire. And then, like, on the next panel, she maybe kicks a dog. Then I could buy it. You just needed to escalate <laughs> the villainy. <laughs> Even though she's technically not a villain. Like, there's a good reason for this thing. There's, like, legitimate social injustice. <laughs> well, I guess implied social injustice well no it's not implied i was about to say we don't really see a lot of the inequity other than the fact that these two are orphans but then i remembered that uh giselle is the exception all of the the wizard people their apprentices they're all aristocracy yeah and that is the central complaint right Mm -hmm. is that it's only the the uh upper class that has access to magic and the lower class wants to take it for themselves so yeah okay that's but it's more, it's even still, it's more implied that that's a bad thing. Because it's like, we don't really see it make a meaningful difference in any way. Like, we don't see, it, it, it's like all of the, the fact that there is that sort of lack of access is said to be the bad thing. But we don't really see why that's a bad thing. Well, probably because um, they're all living in poverty, Stephen. I don't. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. I I need to acknowledge the fact that I had six years of wizard training. <laughs> but um, but I think what I mean is, I I and maybe it's just recent events have kind of conditioned me to look at the revolutionaries as the good guys, but they're the only ones who do any bad stuff. You never really see the magic users. And I've been calling them wizards. I don't actually think they call them wizards or magicians or anything like that in here. I don't think you ever see the the 
aristocracy do anything evil. No, yeah, you just and see so, them. You just see them bully an orphan. Right, but that's that's more like that's just catty schoolgirl stuff. That's just that's just you know high school drama. That's not evil. Oh boy. <laughs> <sighs> I'm going to go watch that 10-minute Gillette commercial again and come out a better person. <laughs> yes, we don't see murder, yeah. <laughs> okay, so here, let me let me tie a bow on this i think this will actually make my point a little bit more clear mm -hmm. as a result we never see the aristocracy you know we never see the aristocracy doing anything that's out and out evil but we see the poor people doing evil stuff and the result of that is the revolutionaries appear to be the villains and their cause appears to be unsympathetic yes i agree and i think that. that i think that hurts this story a little bit especially uh, Genevieve's characterization mm -hmm. uh, intermittently called Genevieve and Viv in the Wikipedia article by the way and I don't remember if that's how they handle it in the story they do um, okay uh, I think I think uh, oh now I forgot the other girl's name Janine? Giselle Giselle yeah no they... just think of James Marsden Giselle Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, it it's a feel bad to kind of pick at this story like that. Um, because it isn't that much later than this that Wilson would go on to pen our number one comic on the list. Yeah. Cause this book comes out in 2011. Um Kamala Khan was 2014 2013 mm -hmm. like not that long after this but boy wilson like i g willow wilson's one of my favorite writers in comics uh but boy she grows dramatically between 2011 and two yeah and while this came out before that i wonder where it'll rank under that yeah because it's not going above it right Ooh, yeah. let's go to the list <laughs> <laughs> that was a good segue although i liked it <laughs> I was thinking right. real hard on that. that went, it went well. Currently on our list, we have, oh, 248. 248 gonna, stories. That means Mystic is going to be our 250th story. Going to put us a clean 250. couple of landmarks. Um, number 67 on our list is, I would say, the bottom point where everything above it is either really really good or really really important that's where we currently have truth red white and black ranked and it's it, only so low i think because well john doesn't like the artwork and because it's such a bummer to read and it's also the racism line no racism can go above that book right which is why wolverine which is a really good story but is full of 
full of some weird anti-Japanese casual racism. Ugh. Number 117 has for a long point, long time been kind of just like the midpoint of the list. Uh, where it and everything above it is like, yes, that's a solid recommendation. And that's where we currently have the Star Wars A New Hope manga. Um, and it's still pretty difficult to say where the bad stories start. I want to say they're around 219, maybe? Galacta? I think so. I know we said, so like anything below 139, which is why Stands for Freedom, is kind of where we start getting disposable. Or maybe a little forgettable. Yep. And but then, forgettable is not the same as bad. Right, yeah. But bad, I think, is... Uh, last time we talked about it was 209, I think. Which was Punisher Silent Night. You could. You could say it's all crap. It would be fine. <laughs> anyway. Disagree. Yeah. So let's let's start with uh, Dr. Afra and the Enormous Prophet. Where was our uh, last Dr. Afra book? Uh, we have book one Afra on 63. Really? Yeah. I don't remember the book that well, but this is, this is, is this better than that? I kind of think it is, right? <laughs> oh, it's not as good as that. It's. But here's the thing. I don't I don't think it's as good as some of the stories below that. Like I don't think it's as good as Beta Ray Bill. As much as I struggle with Warren Ellis, it's probably not better than Karnak. Beta Ray Bill. That's a that's a hard one to fight against cuz there's a scuttlebutt in there. <laughs> it's never not funny to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Which, sorry, which Spider-Man story is my own worst enemy? That's a superior Spider-Man. Oh, it's superior. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, honestly, it's probably not as good as, as my own worst enemy. Um, I don't, I don't think, although of course can, can maybe persuade me to go a different direction. I think I would be willing to put it above that one shot about magic becoming the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. Um, so I would I would put this at the new 48. I don't have any qualms about that. Oh they, yeah. They've been surprisingly good. Mm -hmm. They are a little disposable, but they're really good. There's a Fantastic Four one I want to read. Yeah, we'll have to get to that at some point. Dude, that's like 
three slots below where you wanted it. And only one dance slot. After podcast every night, John goes and watches that one scene from uh, the Star Trek movie where Picard is talking about fighting the Borg. And we fall back. They take over worlds and we fall back. No, the line must be drawn here. And I will make them pay. Yeah, he's... he's... Okay. Mystic goes lower, unfortunately. It, I think it's it's plot problems drag it down quite a bit. Yes, unfortunately, um, I'm not sure how far. Like, here's the thing: the story that it reminds me the most of on our list is the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad comic, but that, if I recall, is like real far down. It is, and it this book is not that bad. Um, Oh yeah, so Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is at number one fifty. You know, um, you know what I would put this above is where United States of Captain America. Oh, interesting. Where is that on the list? Ninety. Yeah. Um. Similarly rough plot. Uh, that story is saved by the really compelling character designs for all of the different caps. This story is saved by just phenomenal artwork. Uh, well, I think it's phenomenal. Yeah. I think it's all concurrent, because she had some self-published comics around this time, or a little bit earlier. Yeah, it's real good. cool okay uh, let's do it all right and that is gonna be it for us for a little bit uh we're gonna have uh, i think just a quick fill-in episode in a couple of weeks because uh i I have to take a hiatus we've got a new family on the way we're gonna have a little baby girl super excited about that yay super excited about that Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> uh no. Um <laughs> we actually haven't decided on a name yet. Anyway, um so the next episode where we meet and actually discuss a story, we're going to read up on the high evolutionary, I think, because we're going to touch on a 90s comics event, The Evolutionary War. That story, there is a reading guide on Marvel Unlimited, and I would recommend you use that because this story swings between X-Factor, The Punisher, Silver Surfer, New Mutants, Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, X-Men, Web of Spider-Man, West Coast Avengers, uh, another Spider-Man story, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, and The Avengers. These are all of the annuals from the year 1988. So I'm not super familiar with this story arc. I don't think there was a trading card that outlined the story. So I'm not sure how much of a through line there actually is. 
like is this just one of those like thematic crossovers or is it actually a plot that builds on itself i don't know we'll see whatever it winds up being pretty excited to read some you know late 80s comics because these are the ones that i had when i was growing up and it's always fun to go back and revisit your childhood stories and find out boy your taste was bad when you were a kid it's okay the more I look back in my childhood, the more the more glad I am that I'm an adult. <laughs> it's like, oh man, when you're a kid, you don't have any troubles, you don't have any worries, you just get up and you play, and maybe you go to school, and it's like, yeah, cool, uh-huh. I couldn't eat whenever I wanted to. I had to have permission to open the fridge. Now, I'm not like, my parents didn't starve me or anything, but it's like, now if I want to, I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to eat a fistful of pre-grated cheese straight from the bag. And the only person who's going to stop me is my own conscience because I am old and my arteries are bad. Oh, I love doing that, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always think it's funny when I go, I always think it's funny when I go to the store and... I buy like cereals and just a bunch of like kind of snacks and stuff like that, which I don't do that anymore because I'm trying to be healthier. But a lot of the times people like the cashier would just ask me like, oh, do your kids like those? I'd be like, "Mm hmm. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) these are definitely for the children I have. (laughs) 